Chapter Seven of the Convict by G. P. R. James. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Seven. I know no more delightful sensation upon earth than when a being whom we love, acting beneath our eyes, but unconscious that we are watching, fulfils to the utmost the bright expectations that we have formed. While in the deed, and the tone, and the manner, we see the confirmation of all that we had supposed, or dreamed, or divined of excellence in heart and mind. Charles Dudley loved Eda Brandon, and all she did or said was of course a matter of deep interest to him, and although I will not say he watched, yet he observed her conduct during the morning of which I have been writing, and especially during their visit to the Grange, as Mr. Clive's house was called. He thought it was perfect, and so perhaps it was, as nearly as anything of the earth can be perfect, and perhaps, although there was no great event to call strong feelings into action, although there was nothing which would seem to an ordinary eye a trial of character or demeanour, yet there was much which, to a very keen and sensitive mind, showed great qualities by small traits. Helen Clive was in an inferior position of life to Eda Brandon. It may be said that the difference was very slight, that her father cultivated his own land, that she had evidently received the education and possessed the manners of a lady. But yet the very slightness of the difference might make the demeanour of the one towards the other more difficult, not perhaps to be what the world would call very proper, but to be perfect. It might be too cold, it might be too familiar for there is sometimes such a thing as familiarity which has its rise in pride, and the object of it is more likely to feel hurt by it than even by distance of manner. But there was nothing of the kind in the conduct of Eda Brandon. She treated Helen in every respect as an equal, one with whom she had been long on terms of intimate affection, and who required no new proof that she saw no difference between the position of Mr. Clive's daughter and that of the heiress of Brandon and all its wealth. There was no haughtiness, there was no appearance of condescension, the haughtiest mark of pride. It was easy, kind, unaffected, but quiet and ladylike, and although Helen herself felt a little nervous, not at the station, but at the number of the guests who poured in, Eda's manner soon put her completely at ease, and the only thing which seemed at all to discompose her was a certain sort of familiar gallantry in the manners of Lord Hadley, which even pained another present more than herself. But it is with Eda and Dudley that I wish particularly to deal just now, and one thing I may remark as seemingly strange, but not really so. It was with delight, as I have said, that Dudley observed the demeanour of Eda Brandon towards Helen Clive but a saddening sensation of despondency mingled with the pleasure, and rendered it something more than melancholy. It was like that of a dying parent witnessing the success and growing greatness of a beloved child, and knowing that his own eyes must soon close upon the loved one's career of glory. He said to himself, She never can be mine. Long years of labour and toil, struggles with a hard and difficult profession, and fortunate chances with many long lapses between could alone put me in a position to seek her love or ask her hand and in the meantime 
her fate must be decided as they had walked down from the house lord hadley had been continually by her side he had evidently been much struck and captivated a vague hint had been thrown out that a union between himself and the heiress of brandon had been contemplated by kind and judicious friends and a meaning smile which had crossed the lip of young edgar adelon when he saw lord hadley bending down and saying something apparently very tender in his cousin's ear had sent a pang through the heart of dudley which his young companion would not have inflicted for the worlds had he known the circumstances again and again dudley repeated to himself it is impossible how can i why should i entertain any expectation the warrior goes into the strife armed the racer is trained and prepared for the course i have no weapons for the struggle no preparation for the race although the prize is all that is desirable in life i will yield this all-vain contention i will withdraw from a scene where everything which takes place must give me pain it is easily done the term of my engagement with lord hadley is nearly at an end and i can easily plead business of importance for leaving him here now that our tour is finished and once more betaking myself to my books wait in patience till the time comes for that active life in the hard world of realities which will i trust engross every feeling and occupy every thought such were his reflections and resolutions as the party after taking leave of helen and mr clive walked out of the door of the grange to return to brandon house i often think that all reflections are vain and all resolutions worse than vain the first are but as the games of childhood the construction of gay fabrics out of materials which have no solidity the second are but shuttlecocks between the battledoors of circumstances so at least charles dudley found them both it is necessary however before i proceed farther to say something of the exact position of the parties as they quitted the house eda and her uncle went first dudley followed half a step farther back and lord hadley and edgar came next as dudley was walking on with his eyes bent on the ground he heard the voice of sir arthur's son exclaim eda eda we are going down by the stream lord hadley and i to see the ruins of the priory let us all go no dear edgar answered miss brandon i can't indulge your wandering propensities to-day i shall be tired by the time i get home and have got a letter to write i can't go either edgar said his father for i have a good deal of business to do well mr dudley at all events you will come said edgar adelon but mr dudley replied by informing him that he had passed some time at the priory already that morning well come along lord hadley then said edgar in a gay tone i never saw such uninteresting people in my life and you shall have the treat and the benefit of my conversation all to yourself i will tell you the legend too and show you what a set of people these brandons have been from generation to generation lord hadley did not decline and they walked away together down the course of the stream whilst sir arthur and his niece accompanied by dudley pursued their course towards brandon they were about half-way between the grange and the gates of the park when a quick but heavy step was heard behind them and dudley turning his head saw a stout farm-servant following somewhat out of breath the man walked straight up to sir arthur adelon and presented a note saying 
I was to give you that directly, Your Honour. Sir Arthur took the note and looked at the address without any apparent emotion. But when he opened it, his aspect changed considerably, and he stopped, saying, in a hesitating manner, I must go back. I must go back. "'Oh, it is but a short distance,' said Eda. "'We can return with you.' "'No, my dear, no,' answered her uncle, with what seemed a good deal of embarrassment in his air. "'You had better go on to Brandon. Mr. Dudley will, I am sure, escort you.' "'Assuredly,' replied Dudley, gravely, and Sir Arthur adding, "'I may not, perhaps, be back to luncheon, Eda, but do not wait for me.' Turned, and with a quick step hurried along the road towards mr clive's house it seemed as if everything had combined to leave charles dudley and eda brandon alone together if he had laboured a couple of years for such a consummation it would not have occurred he did not offer eda his arm however and although his heart was beating very fast with feelings that longed for utterance he walked on for at least a hundred and fifty yards without a word being spoken on either side ladies however feel the awkwardness of silence more than men and eda though she was shaking very unaccountably said at length i am afraid mr dudley that what you find here is not so beautiful and interesting as the scenes you have lately come from you used i remember to be a very enthusiastic admirer of the beauties of nature dudley raised his fine eyes to her face and gazed at her for a moment with melancholy gravity all i admired then he said at length i admire now all i loved then dear miss brandon i love now it is circumstances which have changed not i i did not know that circumstances had changed said eda in a low and sweet tone as if she really felt sympathy with him for the grief his manner implied i had heard that a sad a terrible change of circumstances had occurred some time before but i was not at all aware that any new cause of grief or disappointment had been added dudley again thought before he answered but it was not the thought of calculation or if it was it was but the calculation of how he should answer calmly how he should speak the true feelings of his heart with moderation and gentleness not at all a calculation of whether it were better to speak those feelings or not you are right miss brandon he said the change of circumstances had taken place before, but all things have their consequences, and the results of those material alterations in fortune and station which had befallen me were still to be made manifest to and worked out by myself. When we first met, you were very young, not sixteen, I think, and I was not old. Everything was in the spring day with me. It was all full of promise. I had in those days two fortunes, worldly wealth, and even a greater store of happy hopes and expectations, the bright and luxurious patrimony of inexperienced youth. From time to time we saw each other, till, when last we met, prosperity had been taken from me, the treasure of earthly riches was gone, and though not actually beggared, I and my poor father were in a state of absolute poverty still the other fortune that richest state of youthful hope and inexperienced expectation though somewhat diminished was not altogether gone i fancied that in the eyes of the noble and the good wealth would make no difference i had never found it make any difference to me in my estimation of others 
I imagined that those qualities which some had esteemed and liked in me would still at least retain my friends. I never for an instant dreamed that it could or ought to have an influence on the adamant of love. I had almost said and done rash things in those days, but you went away out of London, and I soon began to perceive that I had bitterly deceived myself. "'You never perceived any difference in me!' cried Eda, her voice trembling with emotions which carried away all discretion. "'You do not mean to say, Mr. Dudley, that you saw, or that you thought you saw, such base weakness in my nature, as would render of the slightest value in my eyes a change of fortune in those I—I—' And extending her left hand, as if to cast the idea from her, she turned away, and shook her head sorrowfully, with her eyes full of tears. "'No, no, Miss Brandon,' answered Dudley. "'No, no, Eda, I said not so. It was the world taught me the world's views. Nay, more, I laid the blame of misunderstanding those views upon myself, not others. I saw some reason even in those views which debarred me from happiness. I felt the due value of station and fortune when I had lost them, which I never felt while they were my own. But listen to me still with patience for one moment. Expectation was not yet fully tamed. I said to myself, I will make myself a station, I will regain the fortune which has been lost, and then, perhaps, love may re-illumine the torch of hope at its own flame, and all will be light once more. Love, murmured Eda in a low tone, as he paused for an instant, but Dudley went on. The hardest lesson of all was still to learn. How slow, how hopelessly slow, is man's progress up the steep hill, which leads to fame and emolument in this world. How vain is the effort to start into eminence at once. I had to learn all that consuming thought, and bitter care, and deep disappointment, and hopeless love, and the anguish of regret, can do to wear the strongest frame, and wring the firmest heart, and quell the brightest expectations, and batten down the springs of life and hope beneath the heavy load of circumstances. "'Oh, Dudley, Dudley!' cried Eda. "'Why, why should you yield to such dark impressions?' "'Eda,' said Dudley, "'would you have had me hope?' "'Yes, yes,' she answered with her cheek glowing, and her eyes full of tears as they passed the park gates and entered the avenue. "'Hope ever, ever hope! "'And let not adverse circumstances crush a noble spirit and a generous heart.' see there is mr filmer coming down towards us i must wipe these foolish tears from my eyes but let me add one warning i have said a generous heart because indeed i believe yours to be so but yet dudley it was hardly generous enough when you imagined that those whom you judged worthy of love and esteem could suffer one consideration of altered fortunes to make even the slightest change in their regard or in their conduct you should never have fancied it, and must never, never fancy it again. I can hardly imagine, she said, turning and looking at him with a bright smile, as she uttered words of reproach which she knew were not quite justified, thus qualifying with that gay look the bitter portion of her speech. I can hardly imagine that you know what true love is, or you will be well aware that it is indeed, as you said yourself, a thing of adamant, unchangeable and everlasting 
on it no calumny can rest no falsehood make impression the storms and tempests of the world the labour of those who would injure or defame the sharp chisel of sarcasm the grinding power of argument and opposition can have no effect such is strong true love it must be love founded on esteem and confidence but then believe me it is immovable if ever you love remember this if ever i love eda answered dudley gazing at her you know too well that i do love that i have loved for years i once thought so replied eda in a low tone but hush dudley hush let us compose ourselves he is coming near he does not see us said dudley his eyes are bent upon the ground can we not avoid him by turning through the trees no no answered miss brandon he sees everything never suppose at any time that because his eyes are bent down they are unused he is all sight and never to be trusted is my cheek flushed i am sure it ought to be she added as her mind reverted to the words she had spoken i am sure it ought to be for i feel it burn a little replied dudley gazing at her with a look of grateful love but he will not remark it oh yes he will answered eda giving a timid glance towards dudley's face and then drawing down her veil yours is quite pale it is with intense emotions replied dudley emotions of gratitude and love hush hush she said no more on that score we shall be able to talk more hereafter what a beautiful day it has been after such a stormy night one could almost fancy that it was spring returned if a bird would but begin to sing ah no answered dudley somewhat sorrowfully though there be browns in both the colours of the autumn are very different from those of the spring the hues of nascent hope are in the one of withering decay in the other and though the skies of autumn may be glorious they are the skies of spring which are sweet they were now within some twenty or thirty paces of mr filmer who was still walking on calmly and quietly with his eyes bent upon the ground as if absorbed in deep and solemn meditation the light and shadow as he passed the trees fell strangely upon him giving a phantom-like appearance to his tall dark figure and pale face and there was a fixed and rigid firmness in his whole countenance which might have made any casual observer at that moment think him the veriest ascetic that ever lived eda who knew him well and had read his character more profoundly than he imagined led the way straight up to him though they had before been on the other side of the avenue as if she were determined that he should not pass without taking notice of them and when they were at not more than three yards distance he started saying ah oh, my dear young lady i did not see you why your party has become small and his face at once assumed a look of pleasing urbanity which rendered the whole expression as different as possible from that which his countenance had borne before edgar and lord hadley answered eda have gone to see the priory and my uncle was coming home with us when somebody stopped him upon business and carried him off mr dudley and i visited the priory this morning replied mr filmer and he seemed exceedingly pleased with it i am happy to say i was very much so indeed said dudley in truth my reverend friend i feel a great interest in all those remnants of former times when everything had a freshness and a vigorous identity 
which is lost in the present state of civilization. I forget who is the author who compares man in the present polished and artificial days to a worn shilling, which has lost all trace of the original stamp. But it has often struck me as a very just simile. I like the mark of the die, and every object which recalls to my mind the lusty, active past is worth a thousand modern constructions. Even the university in which I have been educated, I love not so much for its associations with myself as for its associations with another epoch there is a cloistral secluded calm about some of the colleges which has an effect almost melancholy and yet pleasurable mr filmer replied in an easy strain as if he had remarked nothing but nevertheless he had perceived somehow without even raising his eyes that Eda had dropped the veil over her face as he came near, and he saw that there were traces of agitation both on her countenance and on that of Dudley. He remarked, too, that Dudley spoke more and more eloquently upon many subjects during the rest of the day, that, in fact, there was a sort of relief apparent in his whole manner and in all his words, and he formed a judgment not very far from the truth such a judgment from indications so slight is not unusual in men who have been educated as he had been to mark the slightest peculiarities of manner the slightest changes of demeanour that occur in their fellow-men in order to take advantage of them for their own purposes in the present instance he continued quietly his observations without letting any one perceive that he was watching at all but not a word not a look nor a tone of eda brandon and charles dudley escaped him during the day turning back with miss brandon and her lover towards the house mr filmer or father peter as he was sometimes called by sir arthur's servants accompanied them to the door and then proposed that they should cross the park to a little fountain covered with its old cross and stone which he described as well worthy of dudley's attention eda confirmed his account of its beauty but said that she must herself go in, as she was a good deal fatigued, and had also to write a letter. She advised Dudley, however, to go and see it, and if the truth must be told, she was not sorry to avoid the priest's society, for in his presence she felt a restraint of which she could not divest herself, even at times when she could detect no watching on the part of Filmer. She knew that he was observing with the quiet, shrewd eyes of Rome, and the very feeling embarrassed her dudley had no excuse for staying behind and he accompanied the priest on his walk conversing on indifferent subjects and not yet fully aware that every word and every look was watched by one who let naught fall to the ground for nearly a couple of hundred yards the two gentlemen walked on in silence but then mr filmer in pursuit of his own investigations observed in a sort of meditative tone what a sweet charming girl that is i think i understood that you had known her long mr dudley for many years replied his companion when first i knew her she was quite a girl i had almost said a child and very lovely even then but i had no idea that she was the niece of sir arthur adelon her mother was his sister replied mr filmer and the way in which she became sir arthur's ward was this her father died when she was quite young leaving her entirely to the control of her mother as her sole guardian and his executrix. 
she was a very amiable woman mrs brandon though unfortunately her husband had converted her to your church i believe she was very sorry for her apostasy before her death and at all events she left miss brandon to the guardianship of her brother sir arthur with the entire management of her property till she comes of age i suppose dudley replied as the other made a short pause yes but before that time she will be probably married answered the priest to lord hadley perhaps you think rejoined dudley with very different feelings from those with which he would pronounce such words some two or three hours before oh no answered mr filmer calmly i do not think that sir arthur would ever consent to her marriage with a protestant i know that he would sooner see her bestow her hand upon the humblest catholic gentleman in england dudley was somewhat puzzled if the assertion of the priest could be relied upon why had sir arthur adelon so ostentatiously asked lord hadley there the priest said it in a natural easy tone but dudley felt that in some degree he had himself been trying to extract information from mr filmer and that the attempt was somewhat dangerous with the roman catholic priest he did not feel quite sure indeed that he had not betrayed a part of his own secrets while endeavouring to gain intelligence of the views of others i should have thought that the feelings of sir arthur adelon were more liberal especially as he has always yourself beside him said dudley with a slight inclination of the head you do me more than justice my young friend replied mr filmer it is very natural in these times when there is a persecuting and oppressive spirit abroad that we should wish to see an heiress of great wealth and whose husband must possess great influence bestow her hand upon a person of our own religious creed i may say this can be felt without the slightest degree of bigotry or any view of proselytism i have none i can assure you and indeed you may judge that it is so when you know that one of my best friends and most constant companions is the clergyman of the little church the spire of which you see rising up there just above the hill my feeling is that there is not sufficient difference between the two churches although yours i feel is in some points a little heretical to cause any disunion between honest and well-meaning men and moreover though anxious myself to see others adopt what i conceive to be just views yet i confess the object of their conversion does not appear to me so great a one as to hazard the slightest chance of dissension in order to obtain it those are very liberal opinions indeed said dudley and though i know that a good many of the laymen of the church of rome entertain them i was not aware that they are common amongst the clergy more common than you imagine my young friend answered the priest in fact the heads of the church itself are not so intolerant as you suppose rules have been fixed undoubtedly definitions have been given but it is always in the power of the church to relax its own regulations and when sincere and devout christianity a feeling of that which is orthodox and a veneration of those traditions which descending from generation to generation through the mouths of saints and martyrs may be considered as pure and uncorrupt as the scriptures themselves are perceived in any one the church is always willing to render his return to her bosom easy and practicable by relinquishing all those formal points of discipline which may be obnoxious to his prejudices and by relaxing the severity of those expositions the cutting clearness of which is repugnant to a yet unconfirmed mind 
Dudley paused in great surprise, asking himself, what is his object? This is a question which is rarely put by any man to his own heart without some strong doubt of the sincerity of the person he has been conversing with. What is his object? thought Dudley. Does he really hope to convert me by the mingled charms of his own eloquence and the fascination of my dear Eda's fortune? He resolved, however, not to display his real opinion of the arguments used, but to suffer the worthy priest to pursue his own course and expose his own purposes. He must do it sooner or later, he said, and then I shall discover what is the meaning of this long discourse. In the meantime, he cannot shake Eda's confidence in me nor my love for her i am happy to find continued dudley aloud that such very just and liberal views are entertained for undoubtedly the definitions of the council of trent have been one of the great stumbling-blocks in the way of those persons who would willingly have abandoned doctrines of which they are by no means sure to embrace others emanating from a church the principal boast of which is its invariable consistency with itself the priest looked at him with a doubtful and hesitating glance he was apprehensive perhaps of showing too much of the policy of the church of rome and he stopped as it was his invariable custom to do when the expression of his opinions might do injury to the cause he advocated and no great object was to be obtained he thought indeed in the present instance that something more might be ventured but yet he judged it more prudent to wait a while calculating that if he managed well growing passion might do the work of argument and after viewing with dudley the little fountain he turned back to the house directing his conversation to subjects of a totally different character grave but not ascetic round which he threw a peculiar and extraordinary charm it was very strange the fascination of his manner and conversation when first its power was felt by any keen and quick mind one strove to grasp and analyse it, to ascertain in what it consisted. But like those subtle and delicate essences which chemists sometimes prepare, and which defy analysis, something, and that the most important, that which gave efficacy and vigour to the whole, always escaped. The words seemed nothing in themselves, a little subtle perhaps, somewhat vague, not quite definite the manner was calm and gentle the look was only at wide distant moments emphatic but yet there was a certain spirit in the whole which seemed to glide into the heart and brain unnerving and full of languor disarming opposition persuading rather than convincing wrapping the senses in pleasing dreams rather than presenting tangible objects for their exercise it was like the faint odours of unseen plants which stealing through the night air visit us with a narcotic rather than a balmy influence and lull us to a deadly sleep without our knowing whence they come or feeling the effect till it is too late End of chapter seven